there's a new generation of American travelers finding their favorite places to explore around the world. Like my son, Andy. He's figured out how budget-conscious college students can have fun city-hopping across Europe. One thing that's really big across Europe right now, and it's really shaken up the, the tourism scene, are free, tip-based walking tours. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Andy Steves joins us today with his tips to help young adults enjoy the cities of Europe. Heading to Asia, Yuni Hong recommends the nightlife in Seoul, South Korea. There's no one thing that you have to see to understand or appreciate Seoul. It's more the energy, and that comes alive at night. And even the trendiest Germans look for traditional outdoor Christmas markets each December to get into the spirit of the holidays. Imagine you can do your Christmas shopping without the stress because you get a hot, spicy wine standing next to your neighbors who are just doing the same thing. You have a little chat. It's all just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. It looks like those annual family trips to Europe really did make a difference. Coming up on today's Travel with Rick Steves, my son Andy joins us. He's just written his first guidebook. It's geared towards college students and millennials looking for affordable fun in the great cities of Europe. Andy shares his favorite travel tips with us in just a bit. South Korea has worked hard to become one of the world's trendiest countries. Yuni Hong tells us how to enjoy a night on the town in Seoul a little later in the hour. In Germany, December means the outdoor Christmas markets have started. It's a traditional way people, young and old in Germany, enjoy preparing for the holidays. Berliners Iris Andre and Fabian Ruger join us now to take your calls at 877-333-RICK and guide us into the Christmas markets of Germany. Iris, Fabian, nice to have you here. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having. Fabian, what is unique about a German Christmas market? They're, they're so popular with American travelers these days. I think it's the spirit of German Gemütlichkeit. Usually Gemütlichkeit is associated with, the, with a bar or a pub, but Germans feel very gemütlich on the Christmas market. Imagine you can do your Christmas shopping without the stress because you will walk over the Christmas market in between shops and you get a hot, spicy wine standing next to your neighbors who are just doing the same thing. You have a little chat and then you just keep on doing what you're doing. And it sounds, by the way you're referring to this, is not a touristy thing. I mean, it's tourists make it uh, popular, but it's also enjoyed by the local people. Iris, Fabian just talked about Gemütlichkeit. What is Gemütlich? It's a, a unique sort of uh, word. It's stands for coziness. Coziness. Yes, warmth, quietness, a time off with your friends. So there's a conviviality, and uh, as Fabian said, this hot-spiced wine might add a little bit to the Exactly. It's a time where it's hard time to leave and go home because you don't want to leave that atmosphere. And uh, you find that at a Christmas market. When are the Christmas... I know they're celebrated at Christmas time, but how early do they start in the season and, and when do they close down? For most parts, uh, they should be starting on the first weekend of Advent. Four Sundays before Christmas. Four basically. Sundays before Christmas, exactly. But also some Christmas markets now, they start towards the end of November because they want to have more of a season. Stretch the shopping season. Yes, we do that in the United States. It's exactly. a big kind of uh, discussion. Should we be decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving? Exactly. The same dynamic in Germany. Yes, Fabian, there's uh, Christmas markets everywhere in Germany these days, uh, in Austria and Switzerland, also in other countries. Uh, the most famous, I think, in Germany is in Nuremberg. Why is the Nuremberg Christmas market so beloved? There are several things that come together to make the Nuremberg Christmas market special. First of all, because you're in the heart of a really ancient city with a beautiful castle at the center. You feel like you're in a medieval city. 
They take great pride in their Christmas market, so the lighting is, I think, very special. And then there are a few Christmas sort of sweet specialties that are typical for Nuremberg, like their particular deep kuchen, the gingerbread. Oh, the gingerbread. Uh, which is an essential part of Christmas. To me, it's so essential that no matter where I am on earth at any moment around Christmas time, I need to have German gingerbread for Christmas or it's not Christmas for me. Whoa. What other sort of the special uh, traditions would you find when you go to Nuremberg? There are Pfefferkuchen, which are um, small uh, gingerbread. Really, literally, it means pepper cookies or pepper cakes. I know those. Those are delightful. They're yeah. delightful. Iris, in Nuremberg, there's this um, delightful Christkind. Can you describe the Christkind? The Christkind is a young girl or a young woman who is dressed up almost angel-looking-like. And she stands above the Christmas market and she gives a Christmas market opening speech to the crowd. And it's a big event for the Nuremberg Christmas market, which they want to see. So she's like the queen of Christmas. Oh, yes. And she kicks off the festival. And she has that job for two years. And then it's moved on to another young lady. And they take big pride to be the Christkind. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about German Christmas markets with Iris Andre and Fabian Ruger, two guides from Germany. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Michael's calling from Denver in Colorado. Michael, have you been to Nuremberg for the Christmas festival? Oh, absolutely. I was there in the early uh, 1970s, and my question has to deal with uh, what I call prune men. They made little stick figures out of prunes with a walnut for the head, I don't know what the origin of that was or, or whether they still do it or if it's still just in Nuremberg that they do that. You know, I've been to several Christmas markets, Michael, and I do know that each market has artisans that make traditional little puppets and dolls by local traditional organic ingredients. And there's a very strict law in Nuremberg, at least, where everything needs to be locally made. They don't want stuff imported from China and so on. Everything needs to be not in disposable packages. They want to be very environmentally correct. So they're celebrating artisans. They're celebrating local production. And I remember when I was in Nuremberg, they even had a rule where you didn't have your hot spiced wine and takeaway styrofoam glasses, but everybody would have an actual glass. And when you bought your hot mold wine, you paid a deposit. And uh, if you didn't bring your glass back, you'd lose your deposit. When you think about the Nuremberg Christmas market, Iris and Fabian, Michael is talking about these little prune men. What do you know about the quality of the little gifts and, and the, the handcrafted items you might find? What are some of the favorites that you remember? Of course, Christmas tree decorations. And yes, you're right, they have to be from the local area. They cannot come from China. What I like a lot are these candle pyramids. So you have candles on a kind of round wood-carved plate at the bottom and on top of that they would start to be moved by the heat and another candle might be even on top of this. Yeah, I, re I remember those and also the nutcrackers and I still have a couple of the smokers that are made out of uh, wood and they have a man or a little figurine with a, a pipe and you put the incense inside and then the smoke comes out the little hole like he's smoking a pipe. So a traditional smoker, a prune man on a stick, uh, some nice gingerbread cookies and a little mold, hot mold wine, not to go but to stay. Sounds like a gemütlich Christmas time. Michael, thanks for your call. Oh, you bet. Thank you. Anne is calling from Fort Wayne in Indiana. Anne, are you dreaming about going to Germany? I am absolutely dreaming about going to Germany, especially at Christmas time, as I think about all of the great markets. 
one of the things I would love to take home as a souvenir from that trip is a cuckoo clock, something I've wanted since I was a kid. Now, how do you recommend I go about finding a cuckoo clock that was actually made in Germany? I know it's pretty easy to find anywhere in the world inexpensive knockoffs that were actually made in China. But what's your advice for shopping for a cuckoo clock in Germany? In fact, I think there's a wonderful dimension to your cuckoo clock shopping, and that would be going to the uh, German clock museum in the Black Forest. Yes, there's the Uhrenmuseum in... Uh, Where is uh, that? Also in the, in the Black Forest. It's um, near Gutach. Yeah, Gutach. And there's also the open-air folk museum there for traditional German culture. So, and you could uh, go to the Black Forest, go to the open-air folk museum, Gutach, G-U-T-A-C-H, I believe, and then ask about the German clock museum, which I thought was spectacular. And then in any little town in the Black Forest, you can find good quality cuckoo clocks. How's that? That sounds perfect. I think you've just planned my itinerary for me. Fabian Ruger and Iris Andre are taking your calls as we enjoy Christmas market traditions of Germany right now on Travel with Rick Steves. And Jim's calling from Richardson in Texas. Jim, are you planning a trip to Germany in the winter? Yes, I am, Rick. My problem is that when I go online, so many of the uh, markets look very similar. So I was wondering if your guest could give me some advice about which markets to go to. They're easy train rides from uh, Frankfurt. Jim, I'm going to do something that's a little contrary to the German National Tourist Board. I'm going to give you my hard opinion that these Christmas markets are essentially all the same. And if you've seen one, you've seen one. And that's about enough. And they're great. You could go to three of them, but you could just go to the same one for three times as long, and it would give you the same experience. And I'm not saying don't go in the winter at Christmas, but remember, Germany is great with or without Christmas markets. So see a Christmas market or maybe two, but then spend time enjoying Germany because Munich, Hamburg, Berlin, Nuremberg, there is so much to see. And it's going to be winter, it's going to be cold, people will be in a great mood, but I wouldn't be so hung up on Christmas markets. Sorry about that, Fabian. Is that okay? <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually agree because as you will find that as you travel through Germany by train, all of the cities are connected with train stations that are mostly in the heart of the city. That's where the Christmas markets are. So you almost cannot escape Christmas markets if you take trains in Germany in the winter from town to town. Mm -hmm. Makes your shopping easy as well because if you saw something on the first Christmas market and you didn't get it there, don't be heartbroken. You will see it five <laughs> Christmas it. <laughs> markets down the road. Thanks for your call, Jim. All right, thanks, Rick. Appreciate it. And I'd like to finish our discussion of Christmas markets in Germany by talking a little bit about Berlin, because both of you are from Berlin. You live in Berlin now anyways, and Berlin has a famous Christmas market. Iris, what is the Christmas market in Berlin like? How would you describe it? Well, we have several different kinds. One are the ones that are like more commercial with like the Ferris wheel and all this. But we also have the more pretty ones, like at the Gendarmenmarkt or in front of Charlottenburg Castle, mm -hmm. which have beautiful settings. And those are the kinds that we prefer to go to. Now, my mind of a Christmas market is everybody is wearing dirndls and nice traditional clothes. Fabian, the least clichetically traditional environment I can think of is Berlin. Berlin is edgy. Berlin is surprising. Is there any little bit of Berlin's edginess that spills into its Christmas markets? I have to admit, Christmas markets for me in Berlin were always still Christmas markets. And it's almost as if Berlin decides in winter for the Christmas markets, we'll switch to old-fashioned mode just because we actually all love it so much. We all grew up with it. So the Christmas market, I think at Gendarmenmarkt, 
is my favorite. You actually, it's one of the few Christmas markets where you have to pay, I think, two euros yes. to get in. Mm-hmm. But it's also the classiest. The classiest. That's the Gendarmen Market. That's uh, very close to Unter den Linden in the center of town. And a beautiful place with or without the Christmas market, for sure. Fabian and Iris, I'm in Berlin, your hometown, and I've been to the Gendarmen Market, and I've had my fill, frankly, of Christmas markets. But I want to really get the feeling of the Christmas spirit in Berlin. Otherwise, what else might be going on Christmas time in Berlin? Not only in Berlin, but in the whole of Germany, on the morning of December 6th, you might want to see, be in somebody's house because in a house with children, they will have put their shoes out because overnight Santa Claus has been there to give them the first preliminary judgment for the year. And they will probably find sweets in their boots, or if they have been not so nice, they will find a piece of coal in their shoes. December 6th. December 6th, and that's the official beginning of Christmas season. Iris, a few years ago when you were, <laughs> what was in your shoe? I was lucky I had nuts and chocolate. <laughs> you had nuts no, and chocolate? Yeah, no call for me. <laughs> yeah, so I was you, lucky. You were a good little girl. Yes. Let me uh, finish by wishing you both and all of our listeners uh, in my best German Merry Christmas. Freue Weihnachten. Freue Weihnachten. Weihnachten. Up next, hear how all those family trips to Europe gave my son Andy the confidence to start his own business out of a small apartment in Prague. Andy shares tips for fun and affordable city hopping across Europe. We're at 877-333-7425. When you take your children to Europe every year, you hope it'll have an impact on them and how they view their place in the world. I'm really proud of my son Andy. He started his own company when he was a study abroad college student in Rome. His Weekend Student Adventures helps other young adults navigate their options for fun weekend getaways to the capitals of Europe. Five years ago, Andy joined us for Father's Day here on Travel with Rick Steves. Today, it's his day. Andy's home for a bit, and he joins us in our studio with his tips from his newly issued guidebook called Andy Steves Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. Andy, it's great to have you on the show again. Thanks so much for having me back, Dad. I can't believe we're here to talk about my book. It's pretty exciting. I can see the big smile on your face. I remember when I was your age and had my first book coming out. And uh, the cool thing about this book is it comes out of your experience as a proponent of foreign study and helping Americans who are having study abroad experiences get the most out of those experiences. It seems to me that study abroad is really embraced by universities now across the United States. What's your take on on the uh, approach to foreign study with universities these days? It's really exploded in popularity over the last decade or two. When I started my freshman year at the University of Notre Dame, for example, maybe 20, 25 percent of students studied abroad. But in the five years that I was there, we went all the way up to 60, 65 percent of students studying abroad at the university. And I think the rest of the nation has followed suit. People really recognize the educational and intercultural value that uh, semester abroad has to offer. And so, so universities are really embracing that. University administrators and university faculty see this as part of a, a whole well-rounded higher education? Exactly. So what exactly is foreign study? If some student is considering foreign study, how, how expensive is it? How much time does it take? Uh, what are the options? You have a, a rainbow of options. You can go 
just about anywhere you want around the world. You could go to South Africa. You can study in Sydney. A lot of engineers or people with very serious academic requirements end up in English-speaking places so that they can stay up on their very challenging coursework. I, for example, studied in Rome to keep up on my art history requirements for my design degree and, of course, take Italian for my Italian degree. Now, there's a choice that a student has to make, which is kind of fundamental, and that would be, do I go to the first world or do I go to the developing world? Mm -hmm. What are the pros and, and cons? Obviously, those offer uh, a very different experience. My cousin, for example, just studied in Senegal this semester, and she had an incredible time there. The stories I can't wait to hear at Christmas when we meet back up. You know, obviously, that's going to be a different experience than someone studying in Florence, surrounded by other thousands of American students there. So you really need to decide what's important for you and what you want out of an international education experience and pursue that. Now, you spent a semester in Rome, and I remember when you were in Rome every weekend, it was like, where are we going to go? And the cool thing about foreign study is you don't go to school on Friday. I mean, noon Thursday, you're basically done with classes and report back to class on Monday. Mm -hmm. That's true. And when I was a kid, you couldn't go very far because nobody flew. It was too expensive. And now we've got discount airlines. Tell us how, how that developed into your uh, weekend student adventures tour program. Sure. As you begin to apply for a semester abroad, you never actually realize what it means to have an extra day on the weekend. But as soon as you touch down in Europe, you can zip around on the weekends thanks to budget airlines. And so that really opened up the continent of Europe. My friends and I, we made the most of our free time to zip around, you know, on a night train down to Sicily or to fly to Prague for a weekend or to Because Dublin. if you know how to book in advance for 50 bucks, you can get a round-trip ticket from wherever you're studying to Dublin or Prague or Exactly, or exactly. And that's, you know, that has influence the traveling culture, the style, the expectations that more and more students bring each semester. So for the last four or five years, you've been putting together in your work these uh, three-day little tours for students. That's your business. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that your book, Andy Steve's Europe, City Hopping on a Budget, really is taking what you learned from that experience and then equipping people with information to enjoy these cities without you? Mm -hmm. Is that um, in a nutshell? That's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, you know, people ask me how long this book took to write, and, you know, I was writing for all of 2015, but it's really a lifetime in, in developing. We, we traveled as a family for, you know, the first 18 years of my life. Then I started traveling with my buddy for just a fun backpacking trip. Then I worked as a tour guide for your company for a couple summers. Then I studied abroad. And each one of those traveling styles is distinct from the other. And I had no idea this world of international education and studying abroad, the chance to actually plug into these different cultures was out there. And so when I studied abroad, had my semester, saw this need for educational, efficient and in-depth tourism, that's when I went back to Notre Dame and started working on the concept for both a tour company and this is kind of just one more facet of that project that I've been developing okay, since so I graduated. And I remember over the years you would try some cities and it wouldn't work and try another city and, oh, that's really great and so on. And what you've distilled down here is what apparently are the most likely targets for a millennial traveler who's going to just city hop on a budget. Amsterdam, Barcelona, Berlin, Budapest, Dublin, Edinburgh, Florence, London, Madrid, Paris, Prague, Rome, and Venice. How did you choose these? Well, to start, these are some of the most popular cities in Europe to millennials, but also everybody who's going to Europe for the first time. I'd be interested to hear your take, actually, on how traveling has evolved since you started doing it 30, 40 years ago, you know, independently in Europe. It's my theory that with the advent of budget airlines, the contextual awareness of your visits through Europe kind of falls away. 
If it's your first time in Europe, you got to see the Eiffel Tower, the Colosseum, the Sagrada Familia, those cliche sites. But, you know, you and I spend our lives working really hard to take care of that cliche stuff efficiently, check it off the list, but get on to more interesting, unique and Mm -hmm. off the beaten path experiences. And so I think that the expertise I share in this book is relevant to every budget traveler going to Europe for the first time. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I happen to be talking with my son, Andy Steves, and he's just published his first guidebook. It's called Andy Steves Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. And we're talking about how millennials travel. And Andy, you mentioned you'd be interested in knowing uh, what it was like when I was a kid. When I was a kid, we got Eurail passes, and mm-hmm. it covered 20 countries, and we'd get two months of it, and we would just go everywhere, and we'd go all these little tiny offbeat places. Mm-hmm. Nobody flew. Now, in your age, I would imagine kids have less time They have a little more money, and they have the opportunity to fly cheaper than to take the train. And consequently, what we have is this hit list of the greatest cities in Europe. And what you've designed is a book that fits that need. As a father, I always told you, find a need and fill it. (laughs) I think you've done it. Now, when you take these cities, each one you talk about in your book has a different forte. If you're interested in food, which city would you want to go to? Where do I start? Um, When it comes to food, obviously, you can't go wrong in Europe, but Madrid has some of the most delicious tapas. And you, I remember always talking about the pimentos de padron, you know, kind of the Russian roulette plate of peppers that comes out. And one of the 50 peppers sitting in front of you is is hot as heck. You know, that is a fun game, but also very tasty game to play. And part of the thing about that is it's affordable, which I think you factor in quite nicely because Mm -hmm. London, it would be unfortunate if you wanted to eat really well in London, but if you want to eat really well in Madrid, bam, you can go high on the hug. What about nightlife? Nightlife across these different cities, each one is distinct and has a different thing to offer. If you're really into kind of Euro techno thumping bass and just going all night until the sun comes up, uh, you should be taking a look at Barcelona, at Prague. If you're interested in kind of the social scene, uh, hanging out at bars, talking to people, enjoying some music, you should check out Dublin and Budapest. London is a little bit more posh, a little bit more expensive, but also a very interesting cocktail trend has taken over the city. So you can enjoy these uh, speakeasy type cocktails in lounges that look like uh, like you're in a time travel machine. There's a bar in London that you have to use a password to get past the door. They take you downstairs, and uh, all of that's in the book. So it's like a speakeasy. Mm -hmm. Cool. What about art and architecture? If you just love art and architecture. Mm -hmm. You have the major European art capitals, of course, you know, the British Museum in London, the Vatican Museum in Rome, the Louvre in Paris. You really can't go wrong with those. And of course, the birthplace of the Renaissance Florence. Now, you mentioned this term graffiti and grunge. Let's say you're just really into graffiti and grunge. Mm-hmm. Well, we like to call it street art. <laughs> and, and don't take it for granted from me. Talk to the artists who are actually into it. Man, Europe has just blown up with real fascinating street art. London, Berlin is most famous for it, though. And you'll see these amazing multi-story tall murals depicting all sorts of political artistic, beautiful visual pieces. And you can actually take tours uh, to appreciate the street art, Mm -hmm. which is more than just tagging these days. And it's interesting, when you take a street art tour, you're almost by default going to be led by someone who is a member of kind of the alternative scene in that city. So you're going to see some amazing contemporary art, but you're also going to get all the politics and all the flavor of somebody who really subscribes to that ideology. And you're going to connect with a young local, and Mm -hmm. as you mentioned in your book, a great tip would be after you've spent a couple hours hiring that local to take you around, mm-hmm. invite him to go out for a drink with you. Mm-hmm. One thing that's really big across Europe right now, and it's really shaken up the, the tourism scene, are free 
tip-based walking tours. And so if you enjoy your guide for the a few hours that you're on tour with them, I always encourage people to go up and offer to take that person out for a coffee or a beer and pick their brain um, you know, for another hour or two for just the cost of that drink. And, so, and you'll be able to soak up all sorts of knowledge from them. And that is a big change. When you stand in, in Marienplatz in Munich or when mm-hmm. you stand in front of the bell tower in Prague in the, in the city square, You've got five or six tour companies all offering free tours, but they're not free because they expect a tip, and it's just uh, worth checking it out. And then you've got a potential friend after that. Mm -hmm. You know, Andy, I remember when you took your first trip on your own, and I helped you line up all these sites, and you went over there with your buddy and had a great time, and you came home and... You said, I didn't go to a lot of the sites, that the museums and the galleries that, that you wanted me to see. And I was a little disappointed. But then you said, but I met people and I made friends in, in every country. And that is mm-hmm. the theme of, of your kind of travel and uh, the theme of your book. And in the introduction, you've got this little chapter that's sort of titled, Say Yes to Opportunities. That is sort of fundamental, distinguishing a good traveler. We're just going to do a little game here. I'm just going to mention the name of the city in any order. And uh, I'm sure. just going to let you think of one result of saying yes. What's one little vignette that uh, you think, especially for a millennial, is hitting the jackpot? Mm. Let's say you're in Rome. In Rome, I said yes to going down to the Testaccio Farmer's Market and tried some cow tongue. That's a beautiful idea. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cow tongue and testaccio. I said yes. And I, uh, like, yes. You know, I got to go for it. <laughs> All right. Uh, say, say yes in Paris. In Paris, it was a little bit out of the way, but going out to the Père Lachaise uh, Cemetery, I said yes to go on that 20-minute bus ride and wander around this beautiful, peaceful respite. We saw, um, is it Jim Morrison? Jim Morrison of the Doors. Yeah, he used to be Uh, a very good rock and roll singer. mm -hmm. Yeah, one one of those popular guys. (laughs) (laughs) And Chopin and And, all sorts. um, Yeah, a few other uh, famous names are there. Mm -hmm. Say yes in Dublin. In Dublin. I joined a friend to jump in his car and drive south to his little house that he built to his scale that he was actually going through troubles um, with the city council because he's a short guy. Uh, Some might call him a leprechaun. He built his own house to his scale. So if you can imagine, his door was a half-height window that he just kind of built piece by piece. And, man, that was one of the most enjoyable and memorable afternoons I've so had. you said yes right. to a friend that you met, and he took you to his leprechaun house <laughs> in Dublin. <laughs> yeah. You felt comfortable. You felt safe going with him. Yeah. Say yes in Budapest. <laughs> one thing that I was a little bit skeptical of um, when my, my friend proposed the idea is to go to one of these escape games. Escape games have just taken over the city, and it's where they lock you into a room with a friend or a few friends, and you have about an hour to work through these puzzles to get out of whatever cage you're in. And they come in fun, different themes. It could be like creepy circus or it could be like 1984 apocalypse. And you're faced with all these challenges to figure your way out. To me, that sounded kind of tacky, maybe a little bit past its prime. But But man, when I went, I just had an amazing time. That's probably mostly locals that are going to those, wouldn't it be? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And those, when I look on TripAdvisor on things to do, those kind of activities, they Mm -hmm. always rate pretty high. So there's a whole... A whole strata of travelers that are getting into that. Yeah. Finally, one last one. Say yes in Edinburgh. Haggis is too cliche. One time I, I was um, just wandering around at night and I stumbled across uh, Sandy Bells. It's an amazing traditional music or trad Celtic music bar. And uh, before I knew it, I was playing the spoons right, right up with them. It. Not to say I'm any good, but I can bang a couple of spoons together. <laughs> and, uh, cool. and to just get involved in the music and that kind of living culture, that's what I really enjoy doing. The name of that bar again? Sandy Bells. It's, Sandy Bells. It's just half a block away from the university. So if you're in there, definitely check it out. My son Andy Steves is with us right now on Travel with Rick Steves to share the budget tips he's picked up among his fellow millennial travelers in Europe. 
Hollywood. Andy's new guidebook is called Andy Steve's Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. His website for his weekend student adventures tours is wsaeurope.com. Lauren's calling us now on our listener line at 877-333-7425. He's calling from Boise in Idaho. Hi, Lauren. Hello, Mr. Steve's, Andy. When one travels, they spend most of their money on airfare and lodging. And as we get older, some of us are going to be on a fixed budget, and we got to let that dollar stretch just a little bit further. And this is one of the philosophies I like about Rick Steves is that's what you guys are all about, you know, seeing more on less. Mm-hmm. And it's really quality. But um, I was wondering what the perspective is when an older person goes to a youth hostel and uh, they're surrounded by younger people. How do the younger people perceive that? And what, what is the alternative to a hostel mm-hmm. if you're trying to see Europe on a budget? That's a great idea, because I've, I've wondered the same thing. You've got a bunch of 20-somethings, and here you come in, and you sit there at the bar, and you have a beer. What's the thought, Andy? Sure. Great question, Lauren, and thanks for calling in. First off, before I answer your question, what I would love to point out is that if you are flexible on your travel dates— the time when you fly from Idaho over to Europe, that's your biggest chance to actually save several hundred dollars off the bat. So don't arbitrarily pick your dates if you can help it. Go by when the cheap times to fly are and then build your trip around that. But let's get into uh, hostels. You'll notice that Anytime I talk and anytime I've referenced them in the book, the youth part of the youth hostel has really fallen away. People call them hostels these days. And what you'll find is that when you go to these hostels, whether it's um, St. Christopher's in Paris or Flying Pig in Amsterdam, it's a very welcoming atmosphere. Definitely bring some headphones. Definitely bring a, uh, an eye cover, a sleep mask. But you'll find that the, the perception on the younger travelers is nothing outward. In fact, you're welcomed into this traveling community. And I think that for me, that's always been one of the great parts about travel is making those interpersonal connections with people from all around the planet to experience this one city together. And a hostel really gives you a great chance to, to do that. So if you're a little bit older than the classic youth hosteling age, I would say don't worry about it. Hostels are welcoming, and the social atmosphere in a hostel is unparalleled. Now, I've found that some hostels are more aggressively youthful, and other ones are more laid back mm-hmm. and, and more multi-generational. Yes, and the way you can perceive that, the way you can research that a little bit, is by looking at hostelworld.com and kind of reading between the lines of all the different reviews that you see of the best hostels in any given city. If you look closely, if you look at the pictures, if you look at the reviews, the prices, and all the information out there, you can get a pretty good idea of what atmosphere and what vibe each hostel has. Party hostels will be very clear that they're all about the party. More laid back, chill hostels are going to be able to communicate that as well. So, so there's chill and there's party. Is that yeah, kind of the two? No, there's, there's a whole range. Okay. There's a whole range. And there's boutique hostels. There's very bare bones serious budget Mm -hmm. hostels. There's Christian hostels in in Amsterdam, for example. So whatever it is that you're looking for, be true to yourself about that and and seek that out when you begin searching for accommodation. And these days, I understand, what is it called? Hosteling.com? Hostelworld.com. That's the dominant way to book a hostel. I mean, as, as far as I understand, they've bought out all the other hostel booking websites out there. So I just go to the source and, and stick with Hostelworld.com. So there is the traditional Hosteling International Organization, IYHF, but these mm-hmm. days you wouldn't want to be limited to that because there's so many one-offs and so many other chains of hostels. Mm-hmm. So, And, you know, while you're at it, take a look at Airbnb.com to get some ideas for just to calibrate price points and what um, single rooms or private rooms might have to offer. 
in that avenue as well. Lauren, I hope that's helpful. It is very much, and I will stop uh, wondering what other people are thinking and start having fun. Yeah. Just grab a beer and strike up a conversation. <laughs> Tell <laughs> some stories. Tell some stories. Good luck, Lauren. It's uh, when Enjoy. you're young. Thank you. You know, my my travelers have always told me. Uh, it's never too late to have a happy childhood, and you can go to a youth hostel. I think you do want to kind of look out for it. Some of them are just raunchy party places, and, oh, yeah. and I, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. But I would say half the hostels I'd be comfortable in. Andy Steve's guidebook of weekend getaway tips for students and young adults in Europe has just been published. It's called Andy Steve's Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. We have more with Andy in just a minute on enjoying the nightlife, street art, and cheap eats of Europe on Travel with Rick Steve's. If you think where you live is cool, wait until you see Seoul, South Korea. We'll get an overview of what you'll find in the Korean capital in just a bit. And we'll also take a peek at what I found out a few years ago in the chaotic street markets of Cairo, Egypt, where I think the term hard sell must have been invented. Right now, my son Andy Steves is our guest on Travel with Rick Steves as we take your calls at 877-333-7425. Andy has just released a guidebook for city hopping on a budget to the top cities of Europe. It's called Andy Steve's Europe. Allison's calling in from East Liverpool in Ohio. Allison, thanks for your call. Thanks for taking my call. My biggest comment was I just wanted to call in to thank you. Um, I actually discovered a uh, kind of a life-changing experience a couple years ago in listening to your show. I was listening to one of your programs about East Germany. And one of the uh, people that was talking on there was talking about how they participated in this Congress Bundestag Youth Exchange Program, and I gave it a try. I got in, and I spent probably the best year of my life over in Germany. Oh, wow. Good for you. Congress Bundestag Youth Exchange Program. Do you know anything about those kind of organizations, Andy? No. So what what was that, Allison? Um, So it was like a a government program. So the Germans sent 75 of their uh, young people, pretty much under 25, over to America. America sent 75 back, and we just lived in various cities. We went to school. We lived with the locals. Um, we participated in internships, volunteer work, all that sort of stuff, and we were over there for a year. So what was your good memory in Leipzig? Oh, there were a lot of uh, really good memories there. I'd say probably the best thing would probably be I was there for the uh, the World Cup. So I was there when Germany won, and there was a, um, there was a bar district there called like the Karl Liebknechtstrasse, Every night the World Cup game was on, you just went out there. There were TVs outside. They were packed up to the roads with people watching the game. And just when Germany won the Cup, it was just fantastic. Like, the party went on all night. I love to be in uh, sort of um, new happening kind of trendy districts. All over Europe, there's trendy districts where you'd find young people and international people and foodies, and it's just lively. And Leipzig is famous for that. Andy, what are some of your favorite uh, districts in in great cities around Europe? 
And I, I got to be honest, I, I, Leipzig isn't my strong suit, right. but the, there's a number of different uh, excellent districts. One of them is District 7 in Budapest. So that's the Jewish quarter. And it's just blown up with all sorts of amazing, uh, they call them ruin pubs, cultural centers, and of course, amazing uh, Jewish sites um, that are so important to see in that city. In Especially in, in places like Budapest and Leipzig mm-hmm. and Berlin that uh, came a long way since the end of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. They've got these... Uh, formerly run-down areas that have become quite... Firstly, they were bohemian, and they were bohemian chic, and, mm-hmm. and now they're very trendy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Allison, any other thoughts on the on the program? Um, I would just encourage anyone who's interested to try it. I never thought that, you know, I would be able to spend a year abroad just due to financial situation and things like that, and it's totally worth it. You won't regret it. Mm-hmm. That's great. And, and just as a quick note to add to what Allison has to say here, there's so many different grants and scholarships available for those who want to pursue international education. Yeah. Allison, did you ever side trip from Leipzig or were you mostly staying put there? Oh, we did a lot of side tripping. Um, we started off in the, the southern part of Germany. So we saw basically your main site, your Black Forest, mm-hmm. your Neuschwanstein Castle. We headed down into like Liechtenstein. We were actually um, actually there for the prince's birthday party. That was kind of cool. It was like a big street festival. We had no idea this was going on. And then they were bringing the cows down from the mountains. So I guess you never know what you're going to run into. Germany has something like uh, Das Weekend Pass or something like this, where you can two people can travel everywhere for $5 or something like that. I mean, they, they do a lot to encourage people to get going and, and side trip out from the cities in the weekends. Yeah, we did a, uh, a lot of those passes. They'll have, like, discounted passes to certain cities. There's, like, the state ticket where it'll cover three different states, and you can get up to five people and just kind of however far you can make it in that one day. Right. all covered on that pass, the beautiful weekend pass that'll get you pretty much anywhere in the uh, Sounds in great. the country on one day. All right, Allison, that's an inspiration. Thanks for your call. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Allison. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Andy Steves about his new book, Andy Steves Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. Andy, uh, you know, President Obama's daughter, Malia, is taking a gap here. And uh, I would imagine that's causing a lot of parents to think, hey, our kids should have a a gap year, and a lot of students to think, I'll take a year off between graduating from high school and, and going into college. First of all, are universities open to a year off when you get accepted? And secondly, what are some good ideas for uh, somebody thinking about a gap year? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, I do spend most of my year in Europe, so to, I haven't caught so much of the American media about this story. But yes, I'm aware that she's uh, taken a gap year before I start in her undergrad. I think it's a hugely worthwhile endeavor, and I believe most American universities will allow you to take uh, deferred acceptance, is I believe what it's called. As far as ideas for what to do, man, it's it's just unlimited. You can do service trips. Uh, you can do um, woofing, which is basically kind of like couch surfing, except in exchange for your room and board, you contribute a little bit on a farm or cleaning up around a house or working in one way or another. Um, or you could just do the classic round-the-world uh, backpacking trip. You can buy a one-way flexible plane ticket uh, that goes all the way around the world, stopping at different countries all along the way. There's so many different options, but I would say if you can, go for it. If you did this gap year around the world, uh, it might seem pretty uh, radical and extreme for an American, but you'd meet a lot of Australians who do that pretty routinely. Yep, that's pretty much uh, common practice in Australia. And I I think they're better for it. I mean, you get to see how things work differently, but no better or worse in other places around the world. And I think that's so important for people to have their eyes open as they begin their higher education. I think that is a, is a great thing to do. Andy, I'm a little bit jealous because it's easier to travel now than when I was your age, and I'm impressed that uh, there are so many ways that people can 
travel efficiently and at the same time connect intimately with these different cultures as uh, you've uh, shown us in our, our fun little Say Yes game. Let's just close with a couple last thoughts. If you were a father sending your son or daughter off uh, on a foreign study experience, what advice would you give them? Take a deep breath. They're going to be okay. Europe is safe. It's so ironic when people come to me in the States and say, oh my gosh, is Europe safe these days? And it's like, yes, there's, uh, in terms of gun violence, in terms of just general statistics, Europe is safer than America. I would give them a unlocked smartphone so that they can stay connected and you can call any time of day, text for free, FaceTime for free. Yeah, trust that they're going to have some difficult experiences, some uh, educational experiences, but they're going to come home a more well-rounded, worldly citizen. And I think that's so important and absolutely worthwhile. And I'd say the student comes home with more confidence. The -hmm. student leaves sort of tentative, comes home established, Mm -hmm. well into Mm -hmm. adulthood. The world is their playground. Yeah, you're going to maybe your your gas is going to go out or the electricity is going to turn off in the middle of the night in a foreign country. You're going to have those experiences where you're just going to have to figure out how to communicate what you need and uh, where you want to go. When you do that in these other countries, then you can um, you can bring that confidence with you back. So I think you're absolutely right. I love that. I remember before you went to Europe on your own the first time. We have a cabin up in the mountains, two and a half hour drive away. You asked me, Dad, can I go to the cabin? I thought, you're just a kid. You can't go to the cabin. without an adult there. After your trip, you came home. You said, Dad, can I go to the cabin? I thought, sure, you can go to the cabin. (laughs) You've traveled around the world without a parent within 5,000 miles. You can go to the cabin. (laughs) And for me, that is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Andy Steves, thanks so much, and best wishes with your travel writing. Hey, Dad, thank you. It's, It's so good to be here and chatting with you. It's no coincidence that South Korea has become an economic powerhouse as well as a pop culture leader for much of the world. Both their government and private sectors invest heavily in marketing a bright, youthful image. Yuni Hong explained the birth of Korean cool when she joined us on Travel with Rick Steves last year. She's back with us right now for a look at what you need to know to enjoy a night on the town in the Korean capital city, Seoul. Yuni, welcome back. Thank you, Rick. Seoul must dominate Korea. I mean, 20, 25, 26 million people. What is the importance of Seoul for the country of South Korea? Well, it's the economic, social, and governmental capital, and every government attempt to expand Seoul outwards has kind of failed. So they've given up on that. So what does that mean? Well, it just means that uh, if you're visiting Korea, while the entire country is certainly modernized, I mean, you have to decide pretty much whether you want a traditional Korea countryside trip or if you want to spend your time in Seoul. They're very, very different experiences, actually. So the Seoul is the, sort of the, the futuristic um, skyscraper world, uh, very densely populated? Right, exactly. You know, there's definitely, I would say, the major difference between visiting Seoul and visiting outside Seoul is that you should visit Seoul pretty much only if you are a night person because it's a city that doesn't have any really individually beautiful artifacts. A lot of those, frankly, were destroyed during the war, so there's no equivalent of an Eiffel Tower or Buckingham Palace. There's no one thing that you have to see to understand or appreciate Seoul. It's more the energy, and that comes alive at night. Having said that, it doesn't have a lot of things to see. Uh, I learned from your book, The Birth of Korean Cool, that it's one of the most visited cities on the planet to a great extent, I would imagine, because of this phenomenon of Korean cool. And Americans may not realize it, but Korean culture is just the superpower now all across the Pacific Rim. And there's 
endless tours coming in from Japan and Thailand and so on that are coming to Korea not to go to a cute village in the countryside, but to check out Korean cool in the city. What are those tours like? Well, there's a very popular brand of group tour that started off in Japan and now everywhere in Asia is doing it, where you basically follow the trajectory of your favorite K-drama and it shows you literally where it was filmed and the birthplace of this fictitious character <laughs> and the I, restaurant they ate at. And So K-drama, uh, are, talk about, because there's K-pop, there's K-dramas. What is mm-hmm. this whole, most of us, we know Gangnam Style, the, the video by Psy that went viral and... Two billion people have watched it or something like that. That's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Right. I think, I mean, in America, what they don't realize is the global influence of the Korean soap opera. Americans don't really watch TV shows in other languages. Mm-hmm. Um, but everywhere else in the world, places you would never think of, uh, there's a Korean soap opera called Jumong that captures 80% of audience share in Iran, for example. Wow. Um, yeah, the dramas are really the face of Korean cool in, I would say, 90% of the world. It's not the music. Okay, so you're, if you're going to Seoul, you're going to look at arguably the second biggest metropolis on the planet, and you're going to see a forest of skyscrapers, and you're going to spend a lot of time out after dark. Having said that, there are historic neighborhoods, I would imagine. Uh, there's the, what is the neighborhood with the palaces in it? Gyeongbok Palace, uh, yes, that's very beautiful. And um, there's also Insadong, which is a traditional sort of architectural village that's been carefully preserved. And you can get beautiful pottery there. And there's a famous tea house. It's an open-caged birdhouse huh. where while you drink your tea, you're surrounded by a flutter of different birds. And different- See, now that, I can imagine in a city of 25 million people, there's this kind of uh, cultural delight. Uh, when a lot of people go to London, they're just hell-bent on going to Harrods and shopping in the greatest department store in Britain. Is there an equivalent in Seoul? Well, just because of the way that it's set up, and if you saw the city to understand, it's more a boutique kind of shopping experience. Mm-hmm. Same with the restaurant. They don't have really li- have these sort of mega stores. They have lots of little places that you would think of. I mean, the word dive isn't really quite right because they're all yeah. quite fancy. They're kind of micro restaurants. They okay. used to be a small number of people. You move very quickly. A very important thing about Korean dining culture that you should know is that you will dine three times in a night. How so? Well, let's see. Koreans work very hard, and that's why their playtime is from 9 p.m. onwards. I mean, Koreans who go to New York laugh when they hear that New York is the city that never sleeps, because Seoul really never sleeps. And when I say you dine three times in a night, I mean that you have, it's called 1차, 2차, 3차, which literally just means phase one, phase two, phase three. You don't sit down and have a three-course meal. So you're you, eating you a little to, bit here and then a little bit yes. there and a little bit there. So you're not eating exactly. more, but you're more mobile. It's more intense and diverse and uh, experiential. It's all about the drinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> Basically, yes. I mean, like, you'll go to the first restaurant that might specialize in the pork barbecue, and the second place might be a noodle house, and the third place might be beef barbecue. But it's all basically the intention is to extend the hours and maximize the walking so you can drink as much and as long as possible. And what are people drinking? Soju, which uh, actually not just soju, but one particular brand, Jinro Soju, is the top-selling liquor brand in the world with 500 million bottles Whoa. sold last year. Yeah, It outsells Smirnoff, Bacardi, any label that you've heard of. And on your way between these restaurants, Uni, could you find some good street food? 
Absolutely, and this is why it's actually extremely hard to do guides.、Uh, first of all, Korea, Seoul, I should say, still doesn't have an address system. It's like Venice or any really old city where the numbers are not sequential. You really, really have to go with somebody who knows where they're going. And what would you yeah, eat the on the street? <laughs> what wouldn't you eat on the street?、Uh, yeah, I mean, my favorite after-school snack was called tteokbokki, which is a spicy rice cake.、Nice. Um, there are also, if you're really, really intense, you can have silkworm larva roasted, which is used to be a very popular snack that you would eat like popcorn. Now it's just something that you give to tourists to freak them out. Okay, <laughs> how do you say delicious in Korean? Mashita. Mashita. Yuni Hong's latest book is *The Birth of Korean Cool*: How One Nation Is Conquering the World Through Pop Culture. Her website is yunihong.com. That's spelled E-U-N-Y-H-O-N-G. You can listen to her earlier visit with us in the Travel with Rick Steves archives. Look for program number 412 from July 2015 in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Let's just close this interview, Uni, with your advice on if we want to appreciate the soul of Seoul in our visit. What's your best tip? My best tip is really go with a local. That's kind of a cliche, but it's really the best way to experience the city. First of all, Koreans are extremely hospitable,、um, especially to foreign visitors. You might find you might be lucky enough to find that your money's no good there, and your host will be pay, will pay for everything. But even if it's not the case, it's really the best way to experience as many things as possible, especially if you're on a short trip there. Just be prepared to be dynamic and not to be allowed to go home. <laughs> Yuni Hong, that sounds like great advice, and thank you for a little look at a great city, Seoul, in South Korea. Thank you. It was a pleasure and an honor. The political climate in Egypt has made me think twice about returning to film a TV special there for the time being. I hope I can visit again before too long. But last time I was in Cairo, I happened to have a recorder on me as I tried to navigate a sidewalk where local vendors had set up shop. Take a listen. Street markets are a great way to get a feel for a city, especially in a place like Egypt. But they can come with some aggressive salesmen. In a place like Cairo, I just can't resist the chance to slalom through all those come-ons. You like it? Rolex watch, cheap price. Sure, it's a copy, but a high copy. Come back, I give you half price. Maybe later. The Arabic word for no is la. Get used to saying la 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 and enjoy your shopping in Cairo. How many I want? Is this? No,、oh, thank you. If you. Excuse me, excuse me. Listen, listen. If you dress it, I give you a special price. Special. You like it? No, I'm. Which one、thinking. you like? Which I don't、one? like that. No. Not like that. It's not for me. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Galabia. Yeah. Galabia. Galabia. What is Galabia? Yes. Here. I don't know if I told you before. Ah, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, see my friend. No, thank you. Have T-shirt. Hey, what's your price? What are you looking for? Rolex. Yes. Good Rolex. Yes. How much? How much it cost? A cheap price. Yeah. Uh, that's copy, but high copy. Really, a high copy. Yes, high copy.、Oh. And also, we have different shape. So you're an honest knockoff. That's、uh, good. Really, we, we are honest with you because、right. I want to open my day, you know. Yeah. Because I want to、wow. make business. But I don't wear a watch.、Uh, l- let me show. No, excuse me. No, no, no. Here, I'm just walking, walking. I have a collection. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Hello. Hello. You know how much? How much? 
include it with everything? You know how much yeah. I'll how give it to you? How much? US dollar like 30. 30 dollars for that? Yes. Yeah. This is the copper one. Copper. Yeah. Copper it's plus. good quality. Yes, and uh, include yeah. it with five, with Maybe five. later. Now I'm just walking around. Thank you. Okay. If you come back, I'll give you for 20. Okay. I'll remember. Hello. Scarf. Scarf. Uh, no, thank you. Maybe later. Maybe later. Oh, baby. So, that's called shopping in Cairo. We're having fun in Egypt. Happy travels. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton, Sarah McCormick, and Isaac Kaplan-Wolner at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington. Thanks to our friends at WGBH Boston for studio help this week. You can find program extras, web links to our guests, and search our show archives. It's all at ricksteves.com radio. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, a monthly newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your European travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next European adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.